Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Today Manana. I'm Michael. This is Nicholas. We're happy to have you on this beautiful fall weather, I would say. Yeah, no, it was great. Very misty this morning, but it cleared up. It definitely, yeah. It's been getting cool in the morning, but it's still getting warm in the afternoon, which, yeah. is, which is good. Perfect temperature. Um, perfect, te- perfect temperature to sit down, grab your cafe con leche. <laughs> Warm, maybe a little room temperature, but I wouldn't say cold, I wouldn't ice it, but definitely warm or room temperature. Cafe Con Leche, sit down because we have a fantastic show for you today. Uh, we're going to be joined shortly by Sandra Wang from Fetch Pet Care, and then we'll be followed by Ilya Tovbis from the Virginia Film Festival, and last but not least, Matias Young from Matias Young Realty. Make sure and to like, share, and there subscribe. There you go. Yeah. And I'm Michael, I'm happy to be here, and I'm joined today by Nicholas. Good morning. The... The good, the the esteemed, the esteemed Nicholas. Oh no no, Keith is the distinguished gentleman. Isn't yeah, it? yeah no no, you, we can skip the. No, yeah the okay, we we'll have, have to, to figure something out. We have to figure yeah. out some sort of name. Yeah, but, but if you're ready. Uh, no, 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 hold on. We, oh, we got we our sponsors. That's true. As Sorry. always, we are presented by Emergent Financial Services, and we're powered by Castle Hill Cider, Matisse Young Realty, Craddock Serious Insurance, and Forward Adelante Business Alliance. Um, Okay, so now, now we're right. yeah, we this can is jump. Why you're you have, to, you have yeah. to do the sponsor list. Don't get jumpy. Relax. No, I know. That's why you're hosting. Take, I'm that, not, this yeah. is exactly. Just relax. Take, I, know, I know we're all anxious to get to our first mic. guest. Yeah, that's why. We, I know. So um, we're very excited to welcome Sandra Wang from Fetch Pet Care. Thank Sandra, you. thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. No, well, it's wonderful to have you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you kind of got involved in Fetch Pet Care. Sure. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I actually came from a, um, marketing background. So, um, but you know, 20 years in the industry, um, I decided it was time to switch gears and mm-hmm. purchase the Fetch franchise. So it is a franchise, and um, and now I you know apply my marketing skills to my own company. But I also enjoy just walking the dogs too and checking mm-hmm. in on the kitties. So. And, so, and so, what experience did you have that kind of made you? <laughs> what ex- prior experience did you have that kind of made you be like, I want to work in pet care? I did a lot of volunteering at shelters, um, so, you know, whether that's dog walking or taking care of the cats, um, but, you know, dealt a lot with um, kennel stress and, um, you know, working with animals that have, you know, that are shy or fearful um, because, that, because of that environment that they're in. So, um, so that really, um, and, you know, and having grown up with pets my whole life too, but, you know, that's one of the things that kind of inspired me to choose Fetch versus, um, you know, other franchises that I was mm. looking at at the time because it's, it's something that I've been passionate about already. Um, so it's just, you know, it's just a nice pairing. <laughs> so so what was it exactly about Fetch Pet Care that kind of made you be like, I want to open up this franchise versus kind of like, you know, other potential yeah. franchises. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I had certain criteria. I said, you know, I can't have like set hours, you know, I don't want brick and mortar, okay. um, you know, where I need to staff a location kind of thing. So, um, you know, cause I have little kids and, you know, mm-hmm. I need my time to be flexible and, you know, get them into activities and be able to take them to practice and such like that. So, um, so fetch kind of checked all of those boxes on top of just, you know, you're working with pets, you're working with animals. Um, so that really kind of made it stand out. Um, and it had a great support system in that, you know, we're supported by a call center. We have, um, an app, you know, to track our visits mm-hmm. And, um, and of course, you know, the website that, you know, the marketing team does a great job on. 
um, as well. So um, it's kind of like buying a business in a box and <laughs> <laughs> like, here you go kind of thing. So, so, so what are some of the services you provide at Fetch? Everything from dog walks or, you know, the pet visits, they're for like cats and small animals. You know, okay. basically any, any type of pets that's not a dog that you wouldn't, you know, walk or take mm-hmm. out of the house. Um, anything from that to, you know, 24-hour overnight pet sitting slash house sitting um, where our sitters go to the client's home. Um, and that's kind of our niche. We, tend, we, we send sitters to the client's home. So we don't have a physical location. You know, we're not okay. a kennel or or, you know, mm-hmm. daycare or, you know, facility. We're not a facility. So we go to the client's home to service, to take the dog out for a walk, to check on the kitties, to, um, you know, stay overnight and, you know, take care of what they need us to yeah. take care of. Do most animals, like dogs or, or mm-hmm. whether it's dog or cat or something, do they suffer from, because I know you mentioned, the, was it kennel? Kennel stress kennel or stress. reactivity. Like, do, is it that... Are, is it that there are specific animals that have that, or is it that most animals kind of are uncomfortable out of their environment, and therefore it's it's a lot better to just have someone come and watch their pet in their own home? Um, I mean, I wouldn't generalize and say most animals. You know, of course, right. they're you know cats, dogs, they're territorial animals, so right. you know they're always going to be more comfortable in their own environment. But you do have um, well, people rarely board cats. You know, <laughs> usually they you know <laughs> usually they just. Um, you know, have somebody come in, whether that's twice a day, once a day, every okay. other day, even for the in- independent ones. Mm-hmm. Um, most of our clients are dogs, and um, it's you know by nature of what we do, going into clients' homes to keep the pets in their environment, we've we've kind of naturally built up this client base where you know we have. Um, we do have um, dogs with behavior issues in our client base, and we also have dogs with medical issues. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so my sitters, when I'm you know hiring and building up my team, um, I'm looking for vet experience. I'm looking for training experience. You know, even groomers are great because they handle um, pets in stressful situations. Because like no dog wants to get groomed. It seems like ever. <laughs> you, know? yeah, like, you can have exactly. the sweetest one, and they'll cry the whole time, right? Um, you know, uh, or you know even like myself, um, shelter experience, you know, having worked with a lot of the reactivities, that, um, the issues that you see at shelters. Um, so they, they tend to gravitate toward us, mm-hmm. but, you know, again, you know, I don't want to generalize and say, oh, yeah, all dogs, they, you know, you should keep them at home as much as possible because, you know, th- that socialization aspect is important. So, um, you know, there are plenty that do well in daycare facilities or get kenneled because they love the play groups and they love running around. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones who don't do well in that environment, you know, they then we send a sitter over to and engage with them on one on one. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah. so when you will go to someone's house, for example, to walk their dog, like, mm-hmm. so how, how does that process work? Like, they give you a copy of the key to the house, and then you simply walk in. Could you like walk me through just out of curiosity? Yeah, yeah. So we have a meet and greet before mm-hmm. we start any visit. Um, I don't send any sitters in cold. Um, so even when it's an established client and I'm just introducing a new person to their team, to their mm-hmm. care team, we have to have a meet and greet. You know, the sitter has to have met the pets because mm-hmm. um, most dogs won't. You know, they don't respond well to stranger walking up. Yeah, that's, that was actually going to be one of my questions. Like, right. I can imagine an old dog, like, yeah. some guy just walks in, he's right. like, excuse me, <laughs> <laughs> who are you? Exactly. Yeah, yeah they're probably going to bark their head off, especially, yeah. you know, some of our clients with, you know, reactivity issues. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, so what we, 
as, you know, once we get past the meet and greet and the sitter's been introduced by someone that the pet knows well, um, and, you know, we've established, like, hey, we're a friend, um, you know, then we, you know, we, we set up a, we use a lock, what we call a lockbox process. Um, so basically the client can obtain their own lockbox, keep it somewhere safe on the house. The idea is that we don't take the keys with us because um, we go around town all day from house to house. Um, and that can become a hot mess. Um, also, I match up my clients with a primary sitter as well as at least one backup sitter, depending on how much they use us. Um, so, you know, for regular dog walks in a week, they could, you know, it could be two sitters rotating in. So we don't want to de- cause delays by passing keys. Um, mm-hmm. So the key yeah. always stays on the property. Okay. Um, they can put it in a lockbox. Or a lot of people have smart locks these days where you just punch in a code. So, you know, they provide the code, and that's all saved securely in their MyFetch account that's accessible through the app. Perfect. Um, okay. Yeah. Sure. And we'll journal for every visit, and they can, it, the um, visits are time stamped and GPS tracked. So, mm-hmm. I mean, our dog walk clients, they love it because they can see where their dogs walked mm-hmm. <laughs> around that's the fun, path. Yeah. Um, so, that journaling process, that's really important. Um, it's our main way of communication, not just with our client, but within the care team for that client gotcha. as well. Because mm-hmm. um, each sitter can see the previous journal of that dog. So, um, you know, we leave notes for each other sometimes. <laughs> like, hey, I went down this road, and there's a dog that rushed a fence, and Pepper went nuts. So yeah. <laughs> the next person is going to be like, okay, well, I'm not going to go down that road. Or yeah, if yeah. I need to go down that road, I'm going to cross the street before I hit that house kind of thing. Smart. So okay, yeah. we leave addresses <laughs> and intersections <laughs> yeah. for, for each other so that, you know, we're avoiding situations right. that could set up the pet for failure in the first place yeah. right yeah perfect so for example if i am going out for a long weekend and i call you and i yeah. say okay i have my dog I, I won't be able to feed or take them walk for saturday or sunday like how would how would you, how would fetch like how would you be organizing say okay we got to feed the dog and walk them you know three times like how does that work is it the same person is that when you kind of like have one person come at, like in the morning, evening, afternoon? That's, um, so advanced notice, advanced mm-hmm. planning, you know, that always helps us get a, get consistency. You know, the more notice mm-hmm. we have, the more consistency. Well, what would be provide. a good amount of time? That's like two weeks in advance or three weeks? So for, like for multiple visits, like what you were describing, like mm-hmm. you only need somebody to come in three, four times a day. You don't need somebody to stay over, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, two weeks in advance, okay. um, I can usually find you know, here like a primary sitter where, you know, um, you'll have a backup and you're going to be mm-hmm. both, but this one person is going to take all or if not most of the visits, right? Okay. So that we build that consistency for the pet and we have that, um, they start building that relationship. Um, for overnights, um, having a sitter stay in your home, that we are booked out six weeks at this point. Uh, okay. So six weeks out. And specifically, I mean, like, long weekends, because most people want to go, you know, leave Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's when they leave town. Mm -hmm. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday tend to be our busiest days, because we still have our recurring clients mixed in there. Um, And then the recurring clients drop off, and Saturday, Sunday, it's just vacation um, clients, um, typically. So, Mm -hmm. So it's the, you know, Wednesday through Sunday, they get booked out six weeks in advance. Um, We might have some odd pockets in there on Monday, Tuesday, you know, maybe sometimes even on Wednesday. But um, yeah, if, 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 a, um, if a potential client isn't, 
is calling and say, hey, I need somebody to do overnights in two weeks, we're, we're going to have to say, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. We don't have any availability because um, we're, we're confirmed pretty far out. That's why it's good to plan ahead, right? I mean, you plan your vacation, you know, you book your flights, you book your hotel, mm-hmm. you do that That's ahead of time, so book your pet care, right? Makes At sense. the same time, yeah. So here's a little more fun question. Yeah. What's sort of the most interesting animal you've kind of, or animals that you've had to actually taken care of? Because before the show, I asked you one, and you had a quite an interesting uh, pet. Yeah, that's so, uh, it's so hard to choose one. <laughs> I well, mean, they're all multiple. so quirky. <laughs> you know, they're all so quirky. Um, um, I mean, I had, I, have a stand, I had a standard poodle that was just, like, highly reactive on leash. Mm. But as soon as you get it to get it off leash into a dog park or something like that, he's, like, the loveliest boy. Mm. Um, you know, he's actually boarded with me before. Wow. Um, you know, just because he's not good in a, you know, kennel situation. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, love my dog, love my kids. Just, just great. It's, like, um, with dogs, you know, they kind of have, some of them, they kind of have a switch, like, you know, if I know you, you're my people, then I'm here to protect you. Right. And mm-hmm. the, you know, the reactivity on leash comes from, like, stand back, I got this. You know, like, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it was, he was reactive to everybody. You know, it could be a mom pushing a stroller. It could be a jogger. <laughs> you could have a dog. You could not have a dog. It doesn't right. matter. So, you know, we had a, we, we, when we walked him, it was a lot of aversion tactics. You know, we never walked in a straight line. It was like, duck, you know, like, go this route because there's a lot of buildings to duck behind. Um, but not on that side of the street because, you know, it's just bushes. You can't get far enough. <laughs> so, um, so that's an interesting one. Um, you know, we have, um, I'm actually doing an, an overnight with a lovely little girl. She is just terrified of being kidnapped. And, you know, when her parents... Uh, when her mom's not home, like she, she doesn't want to walk at all. She mm-hmm. just plants, but mm-hmm. she weighs all of like twenty five pounds. So <laughs> you know, I just scoop her up. And say, mm-hmm. So her walk is like I carry her to the farthest point, mm-hmm. and then I walk her back, yeah. and then she walks back. Yeah. You know, I can so, carry a pigeon. Yeah. Yeah. I, right. <laughs> I, I used to do that one. We had a little Westie, and he grew really old. He did not really want to walk. Yeah. Right. So like, if you, I would take him out to the backyards of the porch, and he would just kind of pee, stand, and then go back in. But I said, you need to do your exercise. Yeah. So I would do the basic same thing. I would pick him up, walk all the way to the end of the backyard drop him because then I knew he'd just walk right straight back to the house exactly so he'd just be like i drop him off and then he'd walk all the way back to the house so if it felt like it was a nice day I'd say you need a little more I'd pick him up again yeah, and drop yeah. him off and he would just take his time I mean every once in a while he'd probably stop every once in a while to pee here poop here pee there sure you know all that fun stuff yeah but, uh, all that dog yeah. stuff that dogs do but uh, yeah. yeah that was kind of that was his exercise when yeah. he got old they're so quirky. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I can probably think of a million more examples. Yeah. It's, it's, they're each their own personalities. Yeah. Now, you sure. did tell me that one of your um, clients has a pet cow. Yes. How does that work? <laughs> well, um, I mean, they're animal lovers. They have three dogs, three cats, and they're from Wyoming, so, you know, where they had a lot of space. Mm-hmm. And um, the steer, she, she raised him since a day old because I guess it was rejected wow. by its mom. So she bottle fed him and just, you know, kind of raised him as a pet. And then when they moved to Virginia, they brought all their pets along, including the steer, just, you know, trailered across country. So, um, you know, they live in a, they live in a, you know, kind of nice suburban neighborhood, but the cow can't stay there. So the cow is boarded at a farm nearby. Um, Mm. So when we 
do their care. Um, you know, we take care of the house animals, but then we also send a sitter over to the farm. Gotcha. To, you know, call the cow over with his treats, you know, shake his bag, um, make sure he gets his treats and get fly spray. Um, sometimes he'll, he'll let you get brushed. Um, really, my sitter, Max, you know, he's, he's like the, the cow whisperer on <laughs> that one. Yeah, yeah, you can always get him to come over. Um, oh, so you have to brush the cow, too? Well, not, not he doesn't okay. have to. Oh, okay. Because you know, sometimes he kicks. So, mm-hmm. okay. so you want to be careful with that. But, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, if we can give him his treats and, you know, really it's like a, it's more of a wellness check than anything Got else. It. Gotcha. Like, just make sure he's, he's okay. You know, get, like, just look him over make sure he's not hurt or anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got, like, the cow's got so many girlfriends. Like, he, you know, he comes out and his, like, all his other girlfriends come out too <laughs> uh, so he's, he's pretty well taken he's, care yeah, of yeah. Yeah. Like, no need to worry <laughs> when they hear his name when they hear his name they're like oh we're all getting treats because it's like you know I mean you can't, you can't just give it to the one cow like, no, just, they get jealous, it would yeah. be rude right? I thought when, when Michael asked the question I was trying to imagine a lap cow just something that you keep having in no, your house and no, I'm like no, no there's no way <laughs> I can't see it no yeah I mean you know really anything that any that our clients consider a pet that's what we take care of so we've had pigs chickens. So yeah, so I was going to say farm, so you do farms as well, like if people are going, do you do wellness check on like if people are homesteading and they have just a couple chickens in the backyard that they need feeding and Mm -hmm. things like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking like huge farms or anything like that. You know, most of the time they have staff to do that when they go away, but it's more like you know, I have five pigs for you know, because they're, you know, a specific certified breed. So, right. you know, they, they're thinking about breeding it. Um, or, you know, chickens for eggs, that kind yeah, of thing. Goats exactly. um, for, you know, whatever goats are for. <laughs> Cutting the grass. <laughs> you know, yeah, eating yeah, shrubs yeah, and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, just, just, you know, when they go away, you know, they don't have staff or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's just, you know, they just have their property and it's a big property. They have pens set up. So we go over and we just make our rounds, make, make sure everybody's fed. And is, is there a limit of? that for pets that you kind of like, oh, it's hard for us to take care of? Like maybe like a pet turtle, like a pet snake or pet spider? No. You, you take care of all of them? All of them. Yep. Wow. Yeah, we've had snakes. We've had bearded dragons. Um, oh, bearded dragons. You know, dragon. funnily enough, we have not had birds for some reason. Really? I don't know oh. why. Hmm. So, you know, bird people out there, we do take care of them. You're welcome to join the fetch mm-hmm. fold. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, anything that's considered a pet we take care of the pet snakes it's not like sometimes like at the movies you're not feeding them like the dead rat or something that they come eat no um the ones that we fed is um earthworm so a live a live earthworm you just you know drop it in make sure the snake sees it and it'll it's a tiny little snake oh okay it's it's a tiny little corn you're not doing pythons or anything like that um (laughs) no we had a potential um that would eat a i believe a mouse is what it would eat um, a lot of times those are freeze-dried and they're not live. Okay. You know, so you just need to drop it in. You just bring them to yeah. all the farms, clean it's up the farms. Yeah. yeah, and you they know? come back. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the one, the animals in the small enclosures, they're, they're not, they're easy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wonderful. So um, before we let you go, where can people find you? Everywhere. Everywhere, Everywhere. in town. We are all over town. We serve as all of Albemarle County, Fluvanna County, and Greene County. Um, so, so best 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 way to reach you or contact you fetchpetcare.com okay our website yep that has all of our um, contact information okay. phone number or you can you know fill out your request form right there online um, email us charlottesville at fetchpetcare.com um, so that's those are all the 
best ways to get a hold of us. Well, wonderful. All thank right. you so thank much you, for coming Sandra. on, Sandra. Yeah. It's been wonderful. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, that was that was interesting. Oh, that was fun, yeah. Don't <laughs> yeah, say that was fun. Remember that's what Alex always. Oh, said. Alex always says that's true. He yeah, I remember you criticized him. I did criticize him because he says it's fun, it but fun. it's that true. It is always fun, but the, it's it, it was. I, I yeah, do criticize him for that. No, I mean like we're big animal people, so it was kind of interesting to kind of hear her story and you know, pet care and and especially like I can't imagine like the, dogs, dogs and cats. It like, feels like the def- default. Like yeah, I could understand taking care, but when it gets to like snakes. I don't know. It's like like I'd be tough time. I don't know if I could be there with the dead mouse and feeding the giant snake. I mean, there's a certain interest to it. Like I do it once. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it every time. Yeah, I know. But like the small snake, okay. Like all right, the earthworm. Like I, I can deal with a small snake. A big snake, I don't know. It's like fish. Yeah, you're just yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't <laughs> want to like go into the house and suddenly you're going to go feed the snake and he's not the in like the little bowl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. The snake's not there. All right. <laughs> but anyway, um. Let's get on to our next guest from one fantastic guest to another. Um, we're very pleased to be joined by Ilya Tovbis from the Virginia Film Festival. Uh, Ilya, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. really appreciate it. No, it's, we're excited to uh, have you on. So um, first, why don't you tell us a little about, bit about yourself and how you kind of got involved with the Virginia Film Festival. Um, sure. I've been doing this sort of work for essentially my career, which is curating for the arts and in particular with film. Um, I most recently, prior to this job, which I've had for a couple of years now, was at the Jewish Film Festival in Washington, D.C., J by J, which mixed uh, film and music from a Jewish lens, um, and had the great good fortune of, um, in some of those latter years, working as a guest programmer for the Virginia Film Festival, which is going into its 36th year and is really considered one of the premier regional international film festivals in the country. And so I jumped at the opportunity a couple of years ago when this position opened up to help curate the, the full line. And what got you into film? Um, I started out in university. I went to Oberlin College, and it has a great museum and an art history program, and I took that very seriously, and I was a, a major in art history and history as well. Thought that I would go down the museum path, and that was my first role um, out of college. I worked at the Asian Art Museum in San Francisco, and honestly, I loved the museum, and I did not care for the way people interact with the art. There seemed to be a sort of unnatural distance. People would go in, and they would be appreciative, and they'd read a little note under the painting or the vase and say, hmm, that seems interesting, and then move forward. And there was a lacking of sort of deep engagement and interaction. Um, And at the same time, uh, this is right after college, a friend of mine was working for the San Francisco International Film Festival and offered me an internship, and so at nights after my day job, I would go and I would intern with them, Um, and it was just the polar opposite. It was a complete juxtaposition. Uh, We would watch films uh, during the festival, and then afterwards, deep into the night, usually over a drink, we would uh, just debate uh, why did they do the shot this way, Um, what was the director thinking. Sometimes the artists themselves would join us deep into the night, and then we'd do it again and again, and there was something just so alive about that Mm -hmm. and so animating, and that's really what got me into the arts and into art history. Um, So from there, it was kind of a natural uh, natural connection. Wow, that's that's fascinating because sometimes we're, we're big movie people, and sometimes we'll have that same thing. I mean, we'll be literally talking about an hour just about like a movie that we literally just saw and we're like oh why did this happen oh why why did the director make you know put this scene in like that doesn't make sense and then someone else would be like well i think that was to like emphasize this theme or this perspective so 
That's really, that's really fascinating. So tell us about the Virginia Film Festival. What are some of the films that we can be looking forward to seeing this year? So it's a lot of films. Uh, it's coming up very soon at the end of the month, October 25th through 29th. It's over it. 100 films and programs. There's a lot to choose wow. from. Every type of film you could imagine, from student to the most um, incredible auteurs, international, mm-hmm. U.S., documentary, you name it, we have it. Um, there are a few sort of combining themes to the festival. First off, just about everything you see in the festival um, are brand new films that are not yet out in theaters, haven't shown mm-hmm. anywhere. Some of them are world premieres, U.S. premieres. Um, and so this is really your first chance, very often with artists, to see them on the big screen engage in exactly those kind of conversations that we were just talking about. In terms of some of the highlights, we kick off the festival with Maestro, which is um, the new film about Leonard Bernstein. It comes from Bradley Cooper as the director, as the actor, producer. Um, this features both the life, legacy, and musical um, just incredible nature of uh, the whole history of Leonard Bernstein, but also his uh, personal side and his love affair with the Costa Rican Chilean actress that he ended up marrying and that had three of his children, um, played by Carrie Mulligan here. It's an incredible film. Uh, it's beautiful from beginning frame to end frame. Uh, it's going to be the topic of much conversation, and this is also going to be one of our seven awardees that's coming in. We have seven awards to the festival, one of them specifically for craft. So a lot of times in these conversations, we focus on the headline actors and the headline directors, Mm -hmm. and we have many of those in the festival, but we also want to shine a light on some of the other incredible artisans that bring these visions to the fore. And so every year we give out a craft award. This year it's the Kazuhiro, who's the makeup effects artist, um, and he is a two-time Oscar award winner. He did Bombshell, and he did The Darkest Hour, and we're incredibly lucky to have him in for a conversation uh, with The Hollywood Reporter on stage after that screening. Wow. Oh, because he did the makeup for Bradley Cooper. For, exactly, yeah. He looks just like Leonard Bernstein. Mm-hmm. When you see when I've seen mm-hmm. all the promo shots, it's yeah. it like literally like you could not tell the difference in some of the... And what's incredible is through the film, he ages quite a good deal, and all of that is done with practical and makeup effects. Mm-hmm. It's wow. not done... Okay. Uh, sort of post-production where they're putting CGI and anything like that. Um, and it's incredible. I mean, Kazuhiro and his sort of other life is a very well-known and regarded sculptor. Um, and the amount of detail and effort towards the end of the film as he's aging, it would take nearly five hours um, for wow. him to just sit in the chair and get this makeup put on him. I can't imagine sitting in the yeah. chair five hours <laughs> getting makeup put on me. Wow, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, that is awesome. So, so you mentioned a bunch of other like student films and documentaries. How do you... First of all, how do these films kind of come to your ear? Do people submit them? Are they brought to you by other people? And and my second question, following up to that, is how do you select them? Is there like a committee that like you vote for the films? Sure, they're good questions. It's a bit of everything that you just mentioned. Okay. So we do get hundreds of films submitted, many hundreds, almost a thousand, and then we also solicit films. Um, so all together for a program that is quite robust and, as I said, has over 100 entries, we considered over 1,400 films. Um, so that comes in through all the avenues you mentioned. A lot of people have heard of um, and want to play at the Virginia Film Festival, and we consider all of their work. There's a formal submission process that happens for the many months leading in, and we do have a pre-screening committee of people that are dedicated to 
um, looking at that work, I look at it. Our festival director, mm -hmm. Jody Cabasa, who's also the UVA Vice Provost for the Arts, um, also takes a look at many of the selections. And then we also have guest programmers for individual sections. So in terms of how we choose the films, one of the ways is we have a series of themes that we connect to our mission that we try to ensure uh, make it a representative program and one that's interesting and engaging for the audience at large. Some of these themes are an environmental series, a mm -hmm. series on indigenous cinema of the America, is a series on Korean cinema, on black excellence. There's many more that you can find on our website. And for several of those, we have guest programmers who that's their expertise, um, who are curators and teachers and academics uh, who really specialize in those areas. Okay, so do you pick the themes before you start selecting the films, or, or do you already have like these certain groups that like you're going to focus on these type of films? Uh, so it's a bit of both. So some of those categories are mentioned are evergreen. So every year we want to make sure that mm -hmm. we have films on environmental themes, black excellence, indigenous cinema of the Americas, um, and some others. And then there are other themes, like, for example, um, I mentioned Maestro, I'm sure we'll touch on some of the other films. Um, this year, just organically, we found a major through line, which was music on film. So we didn't come in saying, okay, we need to find three selections that are music on film. Uh, once we picked the absolute best and the films that we felt most compelled to put in, we looked at the program and said, wow, there are seven incredible films on this topic. We want to make sure that audiences um, are finding them, and then uh, we make sure that the website is filterable that way, and we uh, sort of concretize that series for a one-off. Interesting. Okay, so so my next question afterwards would be: Do you watch you yourself? Like, how many movies would you say you watch? And kind of like you, I know maybe a difficult question, but just curious because you said there's only like fourteen hundred films. How many films do you watch you yourself? Like before you kind of decide, okay, yes, this film we're going to include in the Virginia Film Festival. This one, unfortunately, is not going to make the cut. I'd say just as kind of a loose guess, I probably in a given year will watch 500-some films. Um, so many of them, as I say, there are other people and not the only one. Mm -hmm. um, it really does take a whole community to sort of pre-filter. Um, and some of the pre-screening committee they'll pass on once they feel really strongly about. Some of those do get in, some of those don't. Mm -hmm. One of the incredible benefits of my job is I get to go to some of the major international film festivals. Um, so I went to Cannes, I went to Toronto this year um, with the goal, and luckily successfully this year, of bringing back some of the highlights from those festival oftentimes with filmmakers attending in tow. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Wow, so you've been in a lot of places this year. <laughs> I have, yeah. It's a, it's a real benefit of the job, and it's uh, it's not exactly a vacation. You're, worn, you're working morning to night, but it's the best sort of form of work. It's yeah. um, social. You're seeing lots of films. You're meeting lots of artists mm -hmm. wow. um, and having conversations about bringing them back to Charlottesville. So what are some hidden gem films or documentaries that, mm -hmm. that are premiering in the Virginia Film Festival that people might not know that you might want to like spotlight here on the show? Um, sure, and uh, one of the ones uh, that you know maybe is a hidden gem, maybe is not, is we have um, Nikki Giovanni is coming in, who is one of the most highly regarded poets um, in American history. She is, um, along with James Baldwin and Langston Hughes, sort of the most associated poet with the civil rights movement through to the black power movement is still working today um was until recently teaching at virginia tech she's coming in with a brand new documentary that i think is just beautiful about her life it kicked off at sundance um and i think in just a couple of days is going to be a centerpiece screening at the london film festival um, but this is a film that i think rises to her level which is incredibly challenging when you're telling a story about someone that is deeply creative and has quite literally sort of changed the curve of our culture as she has. Um, it is 
I think, imperative as a filmmaker not to tell that story in a traditional, purely talking head manner. Mm -hmm. And what the two filmmakers here do is just incredible. It's a visual story, um, and it is almost as poetic as her work itself. She will be there to comment on it afterwards, but I highly encourage people to seek out um, Going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni Project, which is the name of the documentary. Interesting. So is it a documentary that's featuring like actors, or is it sort of like following her life story with her in it? So it's following her life story with her in it. Okay. It follows her from her personal life story mm -hmm. um, with her and her partner, speaking engagements, archival footage, um, but it's also melded together with this really sort of dazzling array of visuals that mm -hmm. in a way are actually interpreting her words and her poetry. Um, so it goes far beyond what you might expect in terms of just... Um, um, a series of credible talking heads talking about the history of someone's life. Interesting. So I have a question. So mm -hmm. for a lot of the audience mm -hmm. who probably hasn't been to the Virginia Film Festival, what is that experience like? Because I know like the idea of a festival, all these booths and things like that. So just just get to the, get into the head of a of somebody who hasn't been before. What is that going to look like? I highly encourage anyone that hasn't gone uh, to the Virginia Film Festival, of course, to come to ours, or if you're not right by us or not available, go to your local film festival. I think it's critical both to keep the art alive, but it's one of the most just fun times. It's so deeply engaging, because what happens is, sure, you see movies. You see movies, again, you're some of the first people in the world to see these movies on the big screen. You're getting to see them in your community, and you're getting to talk about those films with the people behind the scenes, the directors, the actors, the screenwriters, um, others of those are in the audience. And again, you get to really engage with them. You're not just sitting there as a passive audience. You're not just sitting on your couch. Um, you're really getting out and watching these films. And I'd encourage you, if you can, take a chance on a couple of films, maybe one or two that do have those sizzling top-line actors. And we have plenty of those that are going to be in the Oscar conversation, the Academy Award conversation. But take a chance, if you could, on just one film that's a little bit further down the list that you might not recognize some of the names. We have about half of our program is international. We have nine of the films that are competing for their country for the Oscar War for Best International Feature. Um, and, you know, take a chance on one of those. See a vision and a perspective of someone that's halfway around the world um, that you might not otherwise see that might not even ever make it to your theater or even um, uh, to your TV on a streaming platform. Wow. And so when can we expect tickets to go on sale? Great question. Tickets go on sale tomorrow. That's October the 6th at okay. noon. Um, and I will say not everything sells out right away, but we do have a lot of people that kind of are hidden refresh mm -hmm. and are looking to get those tickets. So if you're really keen on a particular screening, I would advise you to go on soon. Mm -hmm. We have halls at the Paramount that are over 1,100 seats, and we have some halls that are much smaller at the Violet Crown that go as low as 70 seats. And so if there's something you're really interested in, mm -hmm. it's quite possible if you don't get there tomorrow, shortly after it opens, wow. it might not be available. Um, so you know, I would encourage everyone to take a little time to check out the schedule and, and get on there as soon as you can. Exciting. You definitely get your tickets. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone listening, get your tickets. If you, if you yeah. go check it out and see what what you're interested in. So, um, before we let you go, um, just give us a quick refresh. Where can you buy tickets? Um, when's the festival? I think you said October 25th to 29th. That's correct. Yeah, the festival okay. October 25th to 29th, all in Charlottesville, primarily on the downtown mall as well as on the grounds okay. of the university at the Culbreth Theater. Uh, tickets go on sale tomorrow, October 6th. The website is virginiafilmfestival.org. You can also find all of our social platforms, 
lots of information. Um, and yeah, hope to see everyone there, including awesome. the two of you. Uh -huh. Thank you, thank, thank you so you much Leah for coming for on the show us, and, yeah. and sharing uh, all the films coming. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. No, thank you so much. Wow, that's exciting. That's, yeah, especially as, as film people were. <laughs> yeah, well, I was excited because to hear that Maestro was going to be there because, as you know, I love yeah, Leonard Bernstein. Leonard I love. Bernstein, I actually yeah. like Bradley Cooper. I think he's a good actor. Yeah, and I've seen the show. Well, shots yeah, I know. When the minute I saw it, like they were they were f featuring Maestro, I was like, oh. Nick's going to be happy about that, yeah, considering I, he's got all his uh, Leonard Bernstein conducting recordings, yeah, recordings everything. And all like that. he and I have his books. I have a, a bunch of stuff by Leonard. He was just he, he was a pivotal. Yeah. For those of who don't know, he was a pivotal figure in bringing classical music to American audiences. He'd go on TV. He'd explain. He was mm -hmm. he was considered the great teacher. He was a composer. Like I know he was a great composer. He, I mean, he, he was, did he on wonderful. the waterfront, West Side Story. Um, he did. He did. He did, yeah, he did that. Candide. He was really yeah. famous. His mass is very famous. Mm -hmm. uh, they tried to include rock and roll into into classical music, you know. So, I, know I, and a lot of his stuff is just is really just beautiful, beautiful music. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because there's a lot of comparisons, of course, for him to Gustav Mahler. Um, but it, one of the things they always say is that had he not been so famous for being a TV personality or had recordings, it's possible we know him today as a composer. Mm -hmm. because That's true. Gustav Mahler was the same thing famous as a conductor famous as a teacher and then all of a well, sudden luckily we don't have I, his I think because of the success of West Side Story I think a lot of people know him as a composer just because of that yeah, like, you can, you can world, easily yeah. know two three songs from West Side Story and hence you kind of know everyone knows at least one yeah right? exactly so. So, but that's interesting. And plus, I, I hope that people, if, especially if you go to Virginia Film Festival, like Ilya said, you you also take a chance at some of these other films because I mean, he just does there's like hundreds of films yeah. that they're premiering. There's student films, and remember, exactly. like Christopher Nolan films. got his start doing these kind of films, right? Mm -hmm. um, quick, want to do a quick shout out. Thank you, Johnny Ornelas, for liking uh, and sharing. Amigo del Programa, Amigo del Programa. Uh, we missed you too. We're glad uh, you're, you're tuning back in and watching. And thank you, John Blair, for watching. Mm -hmm. Thank you, um, everyone, for watching. And uh, so finally, we get our last guest, last but not least, our good friend Matthias Young joining us. How are you doing, Matthias? Doing fantastic. Doing Thank fantastic. You. I'm glad to be back. And I was just wondering, how do we now manage the transition from film festival to to me? You know, how can I make the transition very interesting? You're, you're like a movie star. There we go. That's it. Yeah, I'm here today to um, introduce my newest film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Matthias and you. And, uh, um, but it was interesting, I was to say, you actually tie in better to our first guest because we were going to talk about homesteading and farms and things like that. And, mm. and she, she watches chickens and et cetera, et cetera. So I, one of the that things cool. I wanted to throw at Matthias is because uh, for Emergence Quarterly Report, I was doing some... some uh, Research. Research, thank you, into homesteading. And one of the things I found out is that 11% of people who have been homesteading, or 15, excuse me, 15.4% of people who have been homesteaded just started, as in they, have, they just did it within less than a year. And among the people who are homesteading, 25% was in the one to three years range. So this is obviously a big movement. It's, it's, <laughs> it's majority affecting people in our age range, 30 to 39, 36%. That's not our, my range. I'm, I'm below that. We're yeah, well, not you. Uh, Matthias <laughs> and I, we're in that range. So <laughs> Barely. Barely well, still but in that we're bracket. still in the range. Though. We're still in the bracket, right? So tell us, are you seeing that on the uh, realtor side? We actually do. Well, 
So as a brokerage, we, we deal with a lot of land and farm transactions, okay. which also means that um, I, as a, as a realtor, I'm not only doing business here in Charlottesville, but also in surrounding counties. And I have a passion for the counties and, and the Blue Ridge, whether it's Nelson County or Augusta or Rockbridge or Green, for that matter. And we do see a trend of families, actually people our age, interestingly, and your statistics just confirm that, that are seeking to move from metropolitan areas into more rural areas, right? So we have families from Northern Virginia that are tired of the, the hustle and bustle of, of modern life there, of their busy lives there, that are interested in moving into the mountains here, just to have more space for the family. Now, homesteading, it's a little bit of a romanticized perception, right? Mm-hmm. Homesteading typically means that, that you are self-sufficient, right. you live on land, usually anything over five acres. And back in the day, the, the, the state or the government actually granted land to you. Um, that's, I think it started in the 1860s with that Homestead Act. That's where the, the name or the classification really comes from. And while we do no longer have that program, it stopped in the 1960s, we still see, or more again than, than in previous years, that trend of surprisingly young people, families, moving to rural areas because they are seeking for you know, different values. They want to live, and that sounds cheesy, but more in harmony with nature, and they're interested in more traditional skills. I'm not implying that a family from Northern Virginia moving to Nelson County necessarily has skills in leather production, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's um, the modern-day homesteading really means that um, you're interested in self-sufficiency to a certain level. You still rely on production of a local community, right? right? right. But it's, it shows that there's a little bit of a cultural movement. Um, people moving from very busy areas into rural areas with their families, kind of interested in exploring, you know, a chicken coop and um, harvesting crops, maybe have some animals. There are also tax incentives, you know, a variety of reasons, but I, th- I see that a lot. And, and, and as a brokerage, we, we observe that trend. Just uh, that... Uh, when you when you were looking at the statistics, do you did it compare to pre-COVID or was it just a general trend that you saw? Well, so it's a if everyone look uh, who's interested, Homesteaders of America uh, is where I got these statistics. They were taken at the end of 2022, um, mm-hmm. and they're given in pie charts. So they everyone they've polled. So they've had so for like for the entrance for entrance. For the statistics on how many years have you been homesteading, there were 3,780 responses. And so it's it's not giving me necessarily like since code, but one to three years is kind of that range that they, they're giving. They, they didn't give it per year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still interesting because the majority, if you're looking at the pie, like if you had the 25% plus the 15%, the majority of people who are doing this have started in either in less than two, three years. 
So that so it's mostly extremely new people. It's mostly um, so scrolling down to get these. So it others, seems to be coinciding with the beginning of the pandemic that it's kind of yes. pushed people. And and this was our this is why emergent was coming is because of the you know one of the things we were considering is the fact that with inflation driving up the price of essential goods more than other goods, our thought was the response is then to search out if you're going to get a home, a place where you can homestead and therefore supplicate your expenses by growing stuff yourself, having your own herbs. Mm-hmm. And we, we talked about this before, like having just an herb outside your house technically counts as homesteading, which sounds a little bizarre, but it, you, are, you are growing your own food to supplicate your, your, your income. So technically speaking, you can be like an urban homesteader or a homesteader. So like that's that's kind of where we were coming from, but we wanted to see how it related on the real estate yeah. so, side. So I have a quick question, Matias. Before when you talked about homestead, you said there was a tax benefit. What's the tax benefit that you can get from having like a homestead? Does all that come out like you can get like a better loan? or? Well, again, um, disclaimer, I am not a financial advisor <laughs> okay. or a um, tax professional, so mm-hmm. I'm just giving you know, mm-hmm. an observation or the experience really is, and that de- it depends where you are, that there are um, write-offs or incentives for living on, on land of, you know, more than five acres, more than 10 acres. Um, some people have experienced, um, you know, the benefits of, of having animals because that classifies a farm and with that you have other other benefits. So there are reasons for people um, to to consider having animals or having a specific size of land that they purchase. Right, but um, you need to really consult your financial advisor mm-hmm. if you want to get into the, the details of your tax benefits for that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people report the benefits. Yeah. Interesting. So as you see increase in homesteaders, where are areas, obviously not in Charlottesville, but around Charlottesville, that you, that you see that might become extremely popular for people who want to potentially start their own homestead? You know, it, it's interesting. And we talk about this a lot, how mm-hmm. we observed this trend um, starting during 2020 when, when the pandemic started of people wanting more space, um, we heard in, in the media about people leaving New York City and um, those that could afford buying farmland or just into less developed areas for the reason of, um, you know, being away from the restrictions, from lockdowns, having more space, more air for the family. Um, it went hand in hand with more and more fiber being available in rural areas. And so what that means for us here in Virginia is we see that in Nelson County, in Augusta County, Rockbridge County, Greene County, um, all of a sudden you can live in the woods or on the mountain and you have access to high-speed internet. Mm, And that's a game changer. That's true. Right? And so you can work from home and at the same time you don't need to commute to Charlottesville or to Richmond anymore. You can work from home and all of a sudden you have the option of living in rural areas. So that, that changes the way 
people live, the, the way people work, and how they combine those two things. Right. And what I find so interesting is that the, the most recent data shows that that trend is ongoing. We no longer have the lockdowns and the restrictions. Um, time will tell how the, the hybrid um, model of working from home and in the, in the office at your employer, how that will work out. But chances are that your employer will now allow you to, to work at least partially from home. And with high-speed internet being available, even in more rural areas, that is more of an option now. And so I personally, as a realtor, I see that trend going on. I, I'm working with people that are fleeing Northern Virginia into DC, for example, looking to live in the Crozet area and in Green County and in Nelson County. And um, I might become one of them one day. <laughs> <laughs> what animals would you have if you started a homestead? <laughs> well, I think I want to start with chicken. Chickens? Yeah, everyone wants to start everyone with chickens. Yeah. The yeah, eggs. That's, you get the that's the cliche, but, um, but why not? You know? The goats cut your grass. That's what my dad wants <laughs> to kill. Yeah, I was like, that's goat, what I want. Goat, because he's tired of cutting grass. Yeah. My thing is anything that reduces my workload first, and then I move up to something that like will give me things. But, <laughs> but you know, those, those buzzwords, homesteading or micro-farming, mm -hmm. are not necessarily limited to rural areas. We, right. we see this in, in Richmond and in Charlesville, too. You know, you, you, can, you can consider yourself a urban farmer or micro-farmer if you have some herbs in your kitchen or on the balcony. <laughs> and um, while that is not necessarily what we mean with homesteading, it shows that people are interested in, you know, a back-to-the-roots approach or yeah. um, you know, combining nature and outdoors yeah. and, um, and some skills, some basic skills back into the life. Yeah, productive hobbies mm -hmm. that keep their families safe. Now, following that up, are there people looking in more urban areas that are have shown interest in like even even if it's just like just having a gated fence backyard with a plot of dirt, just something for them to pursue this or is that just a lot less um, of a concern for people looking more in Charlottesville? You mean, are people looking in general for properties with more land? Even, even like, I guess in the urban setting, because we were talking about urban mm -hmm. micro-farming and urban homesteading, is that still something they're considering when purchasing a spot? Or is it just something that they'll attach afterwards if they get lucky enough to have, like, you know, an apartment with a little outdoor area or something like that? Well, if, if you compare what, what amenities or features home buyers are looking for when they move to Charlottesville. Um, it's, it might be similar to how it was five years ago, ten years ago. Um, I, a property in Belmont that comes with a fenced-in yard is more attractive for a variety of reasons, but right. also because it has some green space. So in, a, in an urban area and with very low inventory, um, especially in, in a market like Charlottesville, those become more desirable yeah. and as a result people are comparing the the property in Belmont or in Fry Springs with something in Green County or Nelson County which becomes more affordable and again 
with high-speed internet, with infrastructure being available, with more developments in those rural areas as well, um, that is an option and no longer necessarily a step down, but just more in line with what the options are. All right, well, that answered my question very perfectly, yeah. <laughs> so when, you, when people are coming to you, do you see that there is a push for people, like does it matter how close they are to Charlotte? So if someone says, Matthias, I'm looking for a house with land, you know, like five acres, and you begin to search for properties, does do you see a lot of people saying, "Well, I want to be within 30 minutes of Charlottesville," or does that not seem like people being okay with because of the building up in Crozet and like Rutgersville? Right. People are like, "No, it's okay if I'm 45, 50 minutes away from Charlottesville. I'm fine with that." I want to say it depends on the on on socioeconomics, but but also um, what are the preferences, where are they in their life? Is it a family we are talking about that needs to commute to Richmond or to mm -hmm. Charlottesville um, because they need to be physically present in, in town at their, at their workplace? Or are we talking about a couple from um, in New York State that wants to retire in Charlottesville? They are more interested in having medical facilities close by. So they... Mm do pay attention on proximity to UVA or Augusta Health in the mountains, and they want to make sure they're close to a highway and have access to those, to mm -hmm. those amenities they're looking for. Um, but again, it really depends where people are in their life and um, what, what they value right Interesting. now. Um, but, but again, that, that's, an, that's an ongoing process, and I'm very curious how this plays out, but we do observe that people value different things now. Mm -hmm. um, we, we also know homeschooling is quite popular mm -hmm. in the U.S., so young families might not necessarily look at school districts as much anymore. If they move to Nelson County and they're already planning on homeschooling and maybe even homesteading, yeah. then um, being close to a fantastic school system like Western Albemarle, for example, or proximity to high-end grocery stores might be less important um, for this type of client. It really depends where you are. You, um, you are asking, you sound like you are interested in... Yeah, I have one more, one more question that keeps popping my head. So yeah. if, if homesteading continues to rise, and, and it's interesting because, you know, talking about this, I know some people who, on the younger side, who keep thinking about it. Like, mm -hmm. they're not really, like, financially there yet, but it's still in their mind, like, in five years, I want to be homesteading. Given that, where are areas that you see that could become good investments if you... Like, if you're saying, like, I might want to actually start thinking about buying the land now, what are some areas where you think you could see a big jump in people homesteading. Well, I, I recently read an article where they compared farmland and the quality thereof mm -hmm. um, in, in different areas in Virginia. And I think number two on that list was Augusta County. And Augusta County, if you live in Charlesville, it's a 25-minute drive mm -hmm. and you're already in Augusta County. And so we see a lot of growth up there, especially the areas around Waynesboro, Stanton, because mm. they're attractive cities that 
experience growth and with growth come you know other benefits um, you have more small businesses moving there the 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 quality of healthcare is, is improving uh, the school system as a result as well. Um, so we see that area growing, and I always look at Nelson County, Green, Augusta, Rockbridge, because I have this passion for the more mountainous area. But if you're looking at counties and how they grow compared to others, look at Louisa, Fluvanna. So the area located between Charlesville and Richmond, if you are able to purchase land there right now, you will definitely benefit from that purchase just in a relatively short span of time. Mm. Wow. wow. Fe- that's great investment advice right there. Yeah. And again, careful. I'm a realtor. No, no, Please no, talk no, to your financial like, advisor. It's, it's, it's good to get a different perspective because one of the things yeah. we talk about, like no matter what we say about homesteading and like as, and, and everyone wants to find a house that's good for them, let's not forget this is generally speaking for most Americans, the home is going to be the largest investment they make. And so mm-hmm. that's why that's talk true. to your financial advisor, talk to your realtor, talk to talk to the people that uh, that are able to give you solid advice because it's yeah. not just one thing where right? your home is going to – your home wears a lot of hats. Let's put it that way. I, I can give you an example. I – I met an appraiser yesterday for a, a house that I'm that I'm selling on behalf of the the owners, and so we we spoke a little bit about current trends and and how that impacts her job right now as an appraiser. And she told me that um, the the calculations that that she has to deliver to the bank in order to you know justify a certain sales price. Um, that has changed drastically in, in just the last few months and, and years um, for reasons that we already spoke about. For example, internet being available in, in rural areas. So a property that would have appraised for less just four years ago, very different now. And so back to your question about what would be a good investment, you know, let's sit down and talk about what you're looking for, first of all, but also what are the the, the amenities, the features you're looking for. Um, you asked me about, do people still care to be within 30 minutes of driving distance to Charlottesville? Mm-hmm. Sure, it's still important, but not for everyone. Interesting. Right? Yeah. There's so many different factors to... I, I, you know, I, I don't Delve still have, into, yeah. have my mind around this sometimes, but thank God Matias says, like, there's so many different factors that go into, like, where buying land, like, the age, you know, I never even thought about that, like, retirees want to be closer to hospitals, naturally, yeah. because you're older, like, in my mind, I would never be thinking, oh, I gotta be close to a hospital, yeah. I'd be like, ah, whatever, it's different for us, exactly, right? well, I'm married to a nurse, too, I'm like, if something hey, happens, exactly, if something happens, I go to his house, yeah, like, you know, she was practicing her health assessment the other day, and the, you know, my and Xavier's first response is, I guess I don't have to go to the doctor. She'll do it. I'm like, nah, it's not the same, but sure. And Matias, thank you so much for doing this. Yes, and I know, I know last time you went with Alex and I, we talked about doing like an Oktoberfest show. I, I have to apologize. You know, it didn't even occur to me that this show is actually in October, but hopefully we'll have you on again before October ends and we'll get some beers. You could come in your special suit. His superhero suit. You, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Um, last weekend, I had to dust off my lederhosen because <laughs> we went to an Oktoberfest um, event in, in Nelson County. Um, 
at a brewery, but yeah. they also have great food and they had, had music there. Oh, and um, so my wife looked at me as I was putting on my lederhosen <laughs> and, um, and the traditional shoes and all that, thinking that I would probably be the only one there. But as we arrived, there were a bunch of people wow. in, really? in lederhosen. Oh, and wonderful. not all of them were Germans. So. <laughs> oh, it's, this, it's this time of the year where we're Americans. Um. <laughs> that's, that's great. I, I wish I had gone. I didn't even know. I didn't know that yeah. other Americans just like... It's like when Americans pretend to be Irish on St. Patrick's Day. We'll just be anything as long as we can party. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're just... We all look forward to events that, right. that you know that come with the seasons, and, and right now, Oktoberfest for, for other people, they're celebrating the, the harvest and or Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And uh, in Germany, we do it in a different way. Are you thumbs up or thumbs down on pumpkin ale? A thumbs down, person. <laughs> <laughs> Just thought I had to ask. As a German, I'm more of a purist in that regard, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I also don't drink. Um, pumpkin spice cappuccinos oh, okay. or whatever you can get at Starbucks these yeah, days. Yeah, the pumpkin spice lattes, it becomes a fad now. It's almost like a cult. I don't know. I, I get a little creeped out with those people. <laughs> they only live for one month of the year when the pumpkin spice latte shows up. I'm like, get a life. I like the simple things. <laughs> Coffee con leche. There, 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 there we go. There we go. That's That's I don't need no, no pumpkin spice. You don't need no pumpkin spice. This get is why we love having potatoes on, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's the same with the beer. Don't, don't mess with the very simple recipe. <laughs> the formula, yeah. It's been the same for 7,000 years. We don't need to add pumpkin now. But yeah. I have to say it as a German. Yeah. <laughs> it's a matter of pride, yeah. Yeah. Well, Matthias, thank you so much for coming on. It's always, always a joy. Always a joy having you on. Thanks for having me. See you very soon. See, See you soon. soon. In Lederhosen. In Lederhosen, In Lederhosen yeah. yes. Oh, yeah. I can't wait for that. I know. Like I said, like it just it jumped on me. I was like... I think it was yesterday. September I was like, flew by. "Yeah, I know." I felt like it just started yesterday, and now it's like falls on its way. I feel like in like two oh, weeks that's we're going to come here, shirt. and, and yeah. it's going to be cold. And no, we don't already say that. don't say that. Yeah, it feels like it. It's like it's almost approaching, and I think it's going to change on a dime. It's sad, but anyway. well, we had a great show today. I'm, I'm happy you were here. With it me. was fun. <laughs> it was better than fun. It was fantastic. There you go. It was fantastic. Fantastic. It was fantastic. There there That's go. the new Michael Irby experience. Thing. It's fantastic. fantastic. You know? Like chillaxing. He used, he used that for our dog. Yeah, because every, as he got older, he would just be like lying down in a way where he looked like he was relaxing, but then he would have his little paw up on the, the chair. Yeah. Right? And he, I'm like, look at him. He's chillaxing. Yeah. He was chilling and relaxing at the same time. But yeah, we had a great show today. Um, and as always, we're proud to be sponsored by Castle Hill Cider, Matisse Young Realty, um, Craddock Series Insurance, um, and did I say presented by Emergent Financial no, Services? No, you didn't, but... Uh, FABA and then presented by Emergent Financial Services. This way I kept it like last. And had yeah, I was like, that's us. <laughs> we got him thrown but, in uh, there. Yeah, so I was Michael. I was, I'm Michael. I was so happy to be hosting the show today. Happy to be joined by Nicholas. Thanks and uh, I, I'm guessing Xavier and Alex will be on next week. I believe so. They yes. are, well, they're scheduled for next week, so they, they better yes, show up. And, and they will be joined by um, Cass Cannon, who's the owner of Peg Salt. So that should be that should be a good show, you yeah. know. Alex and Xavier will be back. Um, Nicholas and I will be gone. You don't have to deal with us for an hour <laughs> like you did today. <laughs> and you'll hear Alex say "cafe con leche" in his exactly. own exactly his own words, you know. But as Alex would like to finish off the show, hasta mañana. <laughs>